Most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord. Your word, Lord, is what we, we base our faith upon, Lord, and everything that we do and believe, Lord, is the, the guidebook for our lives, Lord, and your love letter to us, your church. We pray, Lord, as we study your lesson this morning, Lord, that you would uh, open hearts, Lord, take away that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that we may uh, grow with you, Lord. And if someone here be lost and undone, Lord, that that seed may be planted in water earth and you may give the increase, Lord, that we see, could see a soul saved, Lord, for the upbuilding of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, and teach your word the way you desire us to. Remove our words and thoughts and give us yours, Lord, that we may be your mouthpiece. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for everything. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, we'll start our scripture reading in Genesis 16:1, where it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian after Abram, had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way of to Shur. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. And we'll read our golden text together this morning. Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Genesis 16:15. Our golden text illuminated says, This text relates a surprising element in the life of a biblical patriarch. Abram was promised Canaan as an inheritance for himself and his offspring. Sarah, Abram's wife, began to wonder whether the inheritance was going to happen. There were no heirs to Abram's estate. So Sarah proposed that he take Hagar as an additional wife. Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, promptly became pregnant. Hagar despised Sarah because of her mistress's continued infertility. In her hurt, Sarah somewhat unreasonably called on the Lord to judge between her and Abram in the matter. Perhaps she was upset with Abram for a failure to put a stop to Hagar's behavior. Sarah was harsh to her pregnant rival. Hagar fled from the confines of Abram's camp to the wilderness. God did not abandon Hagar. The angel of the Lord told her to return to her mistress, Sarah. The angel also promised Hagar an innumerable host of descendants. This promise shows God's love and concern for all peoples, not just Israel. Hagar believed in the existence of God and talked to him. 
She explained her situation and eventually obeyed God's command to return and bear Abram's son. Hagar and Ishmael stayed with Abram and Sarah for many years until Isaac was a young child. Ishmael was no doubt a tough young man. The living situation must have been difficult, but it came to a climax when Isaac was weaned. Abram was fond of Ishmael even though he may have been aggressive and difficult. Inheritance issues were probably never far out of mind. God continued to protect Hagar and Ishmael. However, the two of them were forever outside the direct lineage of God's chosen people, and Ishmael's offspring eventually became hostile to the Jewish populace. The account of Abram, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael is a story of impetuous impetuosity. Jesus had in distinct ways of correcting the impetuous behavior of those around him. In Gethsemane, at the time of his arrest, Jesus reprimanded the impulsive behavior of Peter with a verbal rebuke. Peter was also corrected during the transfiguration events by a voice directly from God. Another time, when the disciples insisted that those casting out demons should get their permission, Jesus corrected him. He that is not against us is on our part. The disciples were often caught trying to plan and design the activities of Jesus. For example, he had to chastise them when they tried to turn away little children. God's ways are above ours. Abram had been told that he would have descendants that would be as numerous as the stars. However, he and Sarah tried to jumpstart God's divine promise of lineage. In his loving providence, God protected them in large measure from their own mistakes. Scripture reminds us of consequences when we continue on our own willful paths of behavior and make foolish choices. Pursuing our own agendas rather than God's ultimate ultimately leads to spiritual and physical death. And we should realize, I would think logically, that God's ways is far greater than ours. And no matter how much we want to program God, it can't be done. There is no way we can force God to do anything. There is no way we can, um, as humans... We can follow in obedience and, and pray for his blessings, but ultimately it is all up to God, um, and it is not up to us. And that's reassuring, it's humbling, um, and it takes us out of the equation because God is the one ultimately in control. He's the giver and taker of life. He is, he is life in his very hands, and it is all up to God. We'll look into our questions this morning. Number one asks, what caused Sarah and Abram to become impatient with God? Abram had been waiting for the son God had promised him. He was now over 86 years old. It was more than 10 years since his departure from Iran, and God's covenant promised to give him a multitude of descendants. It is not surprising that both he and Sarah became impatient with the long delay. In the culture of today, the blame for childlessness fell upon the wife so we see here it's a long time had taken place after God's promise. And Sarah and Abram wanted to build up this family quickly, their way. Not God's way, but their way. Um, they wanted to do it by their own. They thought maybe they could help God a little bit by trying to take care of things on their own. And we do this very same thing. Uh, we have a situation that's taking place, and we pray, and we wait, and we pray, and we wait, and we pray, and we wait. And we say, well, you know, maybe I need to help God a little bit along. And we start trying to do things by our own fleshly ways, and things become a mess, and uh, it never works out good because we think that we're going to God needs our assistance for some reason. When really all anything God needs is obedience is all He needs. Uh, he does not need our help in anything. If we're simply obedient, God takes care of everything along the way. Um, but we the, we can see the same thing with the return of our Savior as well. 
God has promised, Jesus has said that he is coming back. And we hear people time and time again, well, you know, it's been a long time, and Peter talked about all that. I believe it was Peter, the book of Peter, talks about how he prophet, he's going to come back, but where is he? And they've been asking about this for since the biblical days, uh, doubting Jesus' word, but it is not our place to decide when Christ returns for the church. It is our purpose to listen to what God says through his word and to believe it and be obedient to it. Um, there is plenty of things in the Bible that logically may not make a lot of sense to us, but that does not matter. It's what God says, and if we trust that Jesus is Lord, we trust that he knows best, and his ways is far greater than our own ways. Number two asks, where does Sarah get the idea of getting a child by her maid? Now, here's what I see a lot in, in the church world in today's society, not just our church, but in, in Christians in general. We will take a firm stand against something until it affects us directly a lot of times. And then we start getting a little bit, we start conforming to the world's standard instead of the standard God gives us. Usually if the devil wants to attack you and he wants to talk you into something, he does not do that through a stranger. He hits someone close to you, your family, your friends, your uh, your close people that you're you're around. Um, for Sarah, she saw, well, you know, well, for Abram, shall I say, it's his wife. His wife is coming to him. Well, his wife couldn't lead him astray, could she? Well, you look at Adam and Eve. Uh, you look at the evil queen Jezebel. Time and time again, we see spouses who maybe not gave the best advice to their other spouse. It didn't mean they'd done it with intentional evil. But the devil has found someone close to them to get into their uh, their comfort zone and allow them to give in to what um, he desires for them to do. And Sarah is doing the very same thing here. And Abram, as we see later on here, is going to listen. Now, we need to consider not who is telling us stuff, but what they are telling us. Um, even if it's someone that you think the world of, even if it's me, your pastor, you need to get into God's Word and say, is he right? Is, or is it truthful? Is this, is this what it says? Um, if Scripture doesn't back it up, then it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. I can give you my opinion all day long, and it doesn't mean a thing. It's Justin's opinion. If it's in God's Word, that's what you have to depend upon. That's what you have to count upon. If your mother, father, sister, brother tells you something, if it isn't in God's Word, don't matter how good of people they are. I have some great family that I love dearly that are good Christian people, but we do not see eye to eye on, on the teachings of the Bible. And we still go to family reunions together. We still love each other, but we just don't agree. And I, I know what the Word says, and I don't listen to what they say. It doesn't have, I don't hate them. I don't have nothing against them. I just don't agree with what they say. And I go to God's Word, not to my loved ones because of that or to anyone else. Now, we need to realize Sarah here, the person Sarah, as we look later on in Scripture, is a beautiful woman. Now, Sarah was not a beggar woman here. She's a beautiful woman. She was a good wife. She had all kinds of property and all kinds of possessions, but yet she had no children. Children for women are the true measure of success in Bible times. Uh, in fact, the more children a woman had, the more society looked up to her. So for Sarah not to have children, she's a woman who had everything but yet had nothing in her eyes, 
because she didn't have the one thing society was judging her upon. Um, and, and I think sometimes we still do this to an extent today a lot of times. I've, I've seen girls who are seriously troubled and uh, because they don't have kids and people start questioning all this and that when it's not our job to question. That's a personal uh, decision people make. But yet we, we want to rank each other based on what we see. Things have not changed. However, God is the one ultimately who gives or withholds children. We see this in Genesis 33, 5 and 32. Yet Sarah, again, what does she want to do? She wants to overpower God. Now you can't, again, you can't force God. You can't force these issues. If we are willing to simply be obedient when we have a desire like this and go to God for comfort in that lack of what we have instead of trying to force Him to do things, it's amazing how much easier things can be in life. Um, there, there is things that each and every one of us has desired for ourselves in lives that's never came to be. Dreams we've had that's never come to, to be fulfilled. And we can try to force God to give us what we want and be unsuccessful. Or we can go to God and say, Lord, help me be content with my lot in life. Help me be content with where you've placed me. Help me be the best I can be for you in the situation that I'm in. And find our joy in the Lord and not in the things that we have. I've told the story before here. When I first started into college, my goal was riches, wealth, a big old house, a big old uh, brand new vehicles, all those luxury items. It never came to be. And it wasn't God's plan for me. He gave me a nice home, a nice piece, proper place to live, a good family. He gave me the things I stood in need of. I have more than most. But I had to come to terms with God gave me everything I need. Maybe not everything I wanted, but it gave me everything I needed. And I need to find contentment in that. And through being saved and through all that, I did find contentment in that. Um, I no longer struggled for my wants, and I rejoiced in receiving my needs from God. Um, and Sarah couldn't do that here. Sarah was going to find her way to force God to get them children to her that she wanted right then and there instead of waiting on God. It looks like a, she looks for the approval of culture. Yes. Yeah, and I have, I said, work with high school kids. It's it's, re, it's prevalent because it's in your, it's, folks, it's in their schools. There ain't no avoiding it. It's in the schools. Um, culture has, has been taught in the schools since schools founded. It's just it's just like anywhere else you go. There's a gathering, um, and it's being taught that these culturally, like Brother Lyle says, cultural acceptable things is fine for everyone. If the world deems it good, no matter what the Bible says, culture is saying it must be good. But that's not bit what the Bible says. And you go all the way back to this time, Sarah and Abram's time. Culture said you could have as many wives as you want in order to produce an heir. Well, God didn't say that. So realize things are not different. We are in very much the same, maybe different situations, different scenarios to an extent, but it's still the very same thing, that the church has to stand with God and not stand with society or what's cool or what's, what's in style at that moment, but what God has to say. Um, and there's a lot of things that a lot of people enjoy out there that the Bible just really tells you not to enjoy. And you hear kids say, well, that's old-fashioned or that's old-timey. No, that's that's biblical. And that's what we're supposed to be is living after the Bible. And if we're not doing that, then we are living in sin. Regardless of how big or small we want to make it in our eyes, it's sin. And sin is sin. Number three, how did Abram respond to her idea and what was that result?
We can explain it on the basis of the Supreme Court accessibility. There is no way, this in no way condones it, but it does help us understand how he could have been pulled into the ideal. It might be that his compassion for Sarah, who would have been bearing the brunt of the shame, compelled him to provide her some relief. And when I think about Abram here, and I think of this scenario, at least for me when I was sitting home studying this, I can see Abram trying to rationalize this sin in his mind. He probably thought things like, well, you know, God said that I'm going to have a promised seed, and it's going to fulfill the covenant. And and God told him that this heir would be a son of his body, but he didn't say it had to be a son of Sarah. It's going to be a son of his body. So, you know, maybe this was part of God's plan. And he sees his wife struggling, and we all see a loved one struggling. We want to do what we can to help him. So he thinks in his mind that the, that the, the means justifies the ends, when really it doesn't work that way. Um, even when we, we try to make it right in our own head, our heart is deceptive, as we say here almost weekly, and, and I think it needs to be said almost weekly because that we, everyone wants to follow their heart. Everyone wants to follow the emotions. It feels good. It feels right. It means I need to do it. Well, God didn't say that. God said to look at his word. What does the word bear out that we are supposed to do in these situations? And I would dare to say that there is not a situation in your life, if you really get into the word and study, that you cannot find God's way of handling those situations. And a lot of them go completely against the cultural standards, completely against society's standards. Uh, but that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. It matters what that we are in line with what God has said for us to do in His Word. If you are a, a, a child of God, if you are a Christian, realize that you are representing Jesus Christ every single day of your life. And as a representation of God and of Jesus Christ, you should very fearfully serve God. Because I tell you right now, if you're representing me, I want you to be a good representation. If you're representing God, you better be a good representation. Because God is very well going to knock you down if you're not. Because he is not going to allow you to trample his His name and trample uh, his church, the universal church of the living God, if by doing things we really shouldn't be doing and, and handling things we really shouldn't be handling. Um, so when we see Abram here, Abram, again, he's going back to that society standard. It has to be okay because society says it is okay. And then you have Sarah here who basically asks the question, why not Hagar? If Sarah said, you know, it's okay, why worry about it? Um, and again, it seems logical. That is the dangerous thing. Our mind can get us into a lot of trouble sometimes because we say, okay, this sounds like it makes good sense. Why not just do it? This sounds like it, it can't hurt anything. Why not just do it? But you have to look at the big picture of God. Things we say, things we do, things we post, things we talk about, things we're around, all these things have a much larger impact when we really want to look at the situation. Abram didn't see nothing wrong. He didn't see the big picture, but as we get the rest less, we're going to see that there is a huge payment. And they're trying to put God on a timeline. Again, God does not operate in our timeline. If God did, the minute Christ died on the cross, we would instantly all be saved, instantly go to heaven and be boom, 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 boom. We wouldn't need it. We're on God's timeline. Things happen around God's way, not our way, not in our timing. Um, and if they would simply, again, simply just follow God, allow God to work. It's the same thing in our churches. Pastors are guilty of this. I'll confess that. We want everything now. We want 5,000 people saved instantly. And it is just in our nature. We can't help it. We have to battle against it all the time. Uh, it's, it's a spiritual battle we have because we want instant, instant, instant results. But God does things in His timing. You may have been praying something for 20 years. 
and I ain't seen it yet. But God will make it come to be when his, the timing is right, when he thinks you're ready for it. Um, sometimes God gets us ready for a situation before he allows that situation to happen. Um, if every person ever preached a sermon was called to the ministry the moment they were saved, you would have a whole lot of more immature preachers out there than what we have because they have to have time to grow. Same reason we don't take a kid off the altar that's been saved and put them into a ministry position. They've got to have time to be disciplined, discipled. They've got to have time to understand the Word. They've got to have time to grow a little bit in the faith. Don't mean they don't have jobs to do. There's jobs to do, but the job needs to be appropriate for that place in their Christian walk. And it's the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I would not dare to give Drew a piece of steak right now. He would choke to death on it. Uh, we give people things that they're ready to handle, and God gives us things that we are ready to handle when his timing is right. Number four asks, how did Hagar respond to her pregnancy? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, and I think to me, this story is almost like a soap opera breaking out here. Um, because as we see it going on, you can, I feel like you can see this on any of your midday soap operas that come on TV. Uh, not that I've ever watched one, but I've heard stories. Uh, Sarah is despised and thereby provoked to passion. Now, a woman in passion or anyone in passion can be a very dangerous thing. Um, Hagar, as soon as she figures out that she's pregnant and she's with child, what does she do? She starts shunning Sarah. She ain't going to listen to Sarah no more. Now, remember, their role's not changed. Sarah is still her master. However, she begins to look down upon her master. She begins to maybe make fun of her master that she got with child and Sarah couldn't. Um, she may insult her. She may, uh, whatever she does, she basically boasts and makes her upset. Of course, Sarah, what is Sarah's first response to that? She blames old Abram. Poor old Abram. It's got to be Abram's fault. Abram's done something wrong here. Um, so while Hagar thinks herself to be a better woman, that she's more favored by God, Sarah comes along, she blames Abram. Now Abram's stuck in the middle between these two women. And this is, again, it's where it gets kind of days of our lives-ish. Um, Abram will not submit. So we have these two women fighting back and forth over which one is the greater. God is not mentioned at all in this. Realize in this whole argument back and forth, God really is not in this at all. This is 100% three people that got a love triangle going here, battling back and forth over who's the best of, the, of, the, of them all. And Abram is the silly man stuck in the middle that doesn't want to make anyone mad, so he's just being wishy-washy, basically trying to keep everyone sort of happy. Um, we justly suffer oftentimes by those who have sinned against us, and it is a righteous thing with God to use those instruments to bring us down in our sin. Um, Sarah sinned by suggesting that Abram take Hagar as a wife and bear a child with her. So what did God do? Now, God didn't make Hagar act the way she did, but God allowed Hagar to act the way she did. And in the end, it taught Sarah an important lesson. And it's going to teach Abram a lesson too. What they did, they thought was justified. But because what they did was sin, now everything is blowing up. Trouble is at every corner. Hagar wants to be the new queen on the place. She wants to take over things. She wants to blast Sarah. Sarah's mad, wants Abram to put Hagar in line. Abram don't want to get involved with all this. He's just trying to listen to what everyone's telling him. And in the end, no one's happy. No one's happy. Nothing is working out. 
So now they're ensnared in this situation. It's the same thing in our lives. We get in a situation where, okay, we want this, this, and this to happen, so we're going to force it to happen, and what happens? Nothing good can come from it. Um, I've said it often. I've, I've been applying for principal jobs for years, and every time someone said, we're going to pray you get it, I say, please do not do that. Pray that God's will will take place, because if I get it and it's not God's will, it's going to be a disaster, and I do not want that in my life. Uh, we should not always pray for blessings, but sometimes pray for God's will. And if God's will be done, it will be a blessing in the end. Um, but we need to seek out God's will. These people were not seeking out God's will. They're seeking out riches and, and lineage and children and, and doing things their way. They were not seeking God by any means. Number five says, how does Sarah respond to Hagar and what did Abram do? And I, and I love, like I said, I love this little part of the story because am I wrong be upon thee? You know, Sarah done wrong. This is like Adam and Eve. Uh, you had one sin. They all blamed the other one. He, Adam said, it's Eve, that woman you gave me, Lord, it's her fault. And then Eve said, no, it's that snake's fault. And it just trickled, you know, trickles on down. They used to be a guy on the Ed Sullivan show years ago before I was ever born. They always had this thing where he said, the devil made me do it. Um, same deal here. It's got to be Abram's fault. got to be so-and-so's fault. Um... What is really boiling down to this is jealousy. The jealousy suspecting that he caused Hagar's behavior and was one not willing to hear what Abram had to say for fixing the mistake and clearing himself from the charges. What does Sarah do? She goes to God. Now she's going to put God, drag God down into all this mess that she's created. Uh, she instantly tells God, says, Lord, judge between me and thee as if Abram had refused to do anything to fix the situation. Uh, Sarah is so full of passion and emotion that she is not willing to listen to anyone. Folks, we must be very careful not to act out of emotion. We will make some horrible decisions sometimes. Um, all because in an emotional moment, we think it's so right and that we're justified and that other person is wrong. If we'll just take a few days, a week or so, and sit down, pray, get along with God, sometimes we realize that we're blowing things out of proportion. Sometimes we realize that we just need to calm down, take a deep breath, and maybe we're both in the wrong sometimes. And we just need to let God work it out. Uh, it is often crazy when passionate people are guilty and begin quarreling with others for things that are their own fault. Sarah has to own the blame, and she had given her maid to Abram, and yet she cries out that her wrong be upon Abram. Uh, what a fool was I to do so. It is never said wisely that which pride and anger have stirred within us, uh, and when passion is in control, reason walks out the door. Again, we operate with emotion. Those are not always in the right who are most loud and forward appealing to God. Oftentimes, those are the most loud and most showing are in the wrong. Again, your prayer closet, folks, is the place to talk to God about these things. When there's a quarrel, when there's a moment of emotion, it is not something to be publicly talked with God about. It's something to get along with God about and say, Lord, I need help with this. Um, I'm feeling I'm upset, I'm hurt, I'm angered, I'm whatever you are, uh, whatever I am. And we talk to God and allow God to sort it out for us. And he will. He's just and he, he will take care of us and help us work these things out. Number six, where did Hagar go and who found her there? Who was this being? Here was a distressed, angry woman, three 
This is the first mention in the Old Testament of the angel of the Lord. And the Sunday school commentary is a little more kinder to Hagar than I am personally. Um, while, while she was fleeing from a stressful situation, she was also fleeing from sin. Um, she was running from a situation where she should not have been involved in to start with. And the angel here, to me, is coming down and stopping her. And it's beautiful because in our lives as Christians, oftentimes God will arrest us in a situation of sin. He will, he will do whatever it can by providence or by situation or by divine intervention to stop us from the unrepentant sin we are putting ourselves in. Um, and it's a beautiful love that God does that for us because he has every right to strike us down. But he didn't. He could have allowed Hagar all kinds of horrible things to happen to her, but he didn't. Um, we believe that she is probably going home because uh, she's going by the way of Shur, and that's kind of close to Egypt. She's from Egypt. She's Egyptian. And it is good if our afflictions would make us think of our home um, that we come from when we have situations like this. And that home being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, not our earthly home, our heavenly home, which is prepared for us. When we get into trouble, we should not think about what our parents taught us, and that's nothing wrong with it. We should think about what God teaches us. Because what God teaches about is, the again, the ultimate source of what is right. And we should always go back to God. Hagar was now out of her place, she was out of her way, and she was out of her duty. Um, it is sinful to rail against your master. Now, we don't think of it. We know slavery is evil, but it doesn't change. During this time and era, you were not to rebel against your master. And she is rebelling against her master. So it was a great mercy of God to allow her to be stopped in this sinful condition she's in. God suffers those that are out of the way to wander a while sometimes. It teaches us a lesson. Uh, we see time and time again in the Bible, people are in sin. And what does God do? He allows them to get themselves just far enough away to teach them a lesson. Because sometimes the best lessons in life are the hard lessons. Sometimes we've got to figure them out ourselves. Um, there's times with my children. I'll see them doing things, and I'll say, give them a second. They'll stop. They'll learn. They won't do that again. Uh, I'm not going to let them get hurt, obviously. But there's just some things that you're just, you know, that's not a good idea. Um, and they'll eventually they'll quit. And if I, as a daddy, say, no, don't do that, they're probably just going to rebel and do it anyways. But if I say, all right, they'll learn here in a second. Like Sadie will say, there's one day, it was like 110 degrees outside. I want to go outside and play. She's not going to last long. Let her go out there and figure it out. Five seconds later, she comes back in, sweat a bull, and daddy's too hot. And I say, yes, it is. And lesson learned, no fight, no argument. God's the same way with us. Um, when God tries to say, if he stopped us immediately, we'd start rebelling against God. We'd do it anyways. God allows us to get ourselves in just enough trouble to say, you know what? It's better at Father's house. It's better as God's way. Um, Hagar is the same way. She's got herself out there in the wilderness. She's set down. She's weary. She's tired. She doesn't know what to do. And now all of a sudden this angel appears, and he's showing her a better way if she just turns to God. Number seven, what two questions did this angel ask and why? The angel asked Hagar two questions. Where did you come from and where are you going? Notice that he addressed her as Hagar, there is made, which is a less than subtle hint that he... He had not approved of her relationship with Abram. He knew, of course, where she had come from and, and from where she was going, but he wanted her to face the facts of the situation. God does this with us sometimes, knowing that if we need to make a change of direction in our lives, we must first acknowledge where we are. And the two questions he asks her, I, I think we oftentimes, God asks us. He first says, Whence comest thou? He's showing her that she is running away from both the duty she's bound to 
and the privileges she is blessed with being a part of a, a religious family. Um, we are often blessed to be a part of a religious family, a family that raises us in church, takes us to church, uh, growing in church. But so often, we, we were talking this a little bit before church, we see kids raise up, and I, you know, I told somebody this morning, Sadie was real sick all night last night. Uh, with, I don't know if she got a virus or she ate something, made her sick or whatever, she was really sick. She got up this morning, boo-hoo, and I want to go to Sunday school, and I couldn't let her come because I was afraid she had a virus. I didn't want her to spread it around and everything. Um, but I thought how, how blessed I am to have a child that wants to go. But, you know, oftentimes they do that till they get a little bit older, and my prayer is that she never loses that. But we're so quickly, as we get older, to abandon that religious family, that family of God that we have. And we're the same thing with our church family. People, time and time again, they uh, something happens, and maybe it's nothing really, but the devil makes it large in our brain. The first thing we do is we flee. We say, we're not going to go to church, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, and whatever. And the only thing we're really hurting is ourselves because we need our church family. Uh, we are designed to have a group of believers that we bind with. And when we do these things, we are hurting our church because our church needs us. Your church needs you. Um, and we are hurting ourselves again because we need each other. Um, that's part of our makeup that God has have made us with. But also he asks her, says, Whither wilt thou go? Now she's running herself into sin. She's going to Egypt. Now what's the Egyptians? Are they Christians? No. They believe in gods. So she's leaving the Hebrew faith, which is one God, the God, and going back into Egypt where it's pagan worship. Um, if she returns to those people, she's probably going to return to their gods. Remember, there's not a time of salvation here. We're talking about earlier times, different covenant. When she goes into this danger, there's lots of things that could happen. She's forsaking God. She's forsaking her duty. And she could very easily lose her child along the way as well. She's not in the best situation. John 6, 68, going to the New Testament, says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Same thing for us. Where are we going to go but Jesus Christ? There's no one else. No one else can give you salvation. No one else can save you. No one else can give you heaven. No one else can forgive you. Jesus is the only place we have to turn. And we'd be ignorant to turn anywhere else. Uh, number eight. Number eight asks, what instructions did he give and why was this difficult to Hagar? Hagar And I like what God does here. A lot of us would expect God to say, well, you know, Sarah was mean to you, and Abram didn't support you, and you keep on doing what you're doing. No, God corrected her personally. This really should point us back to ourselves because it's really easy for us to point out other people's faults and say they need to quit doing this, and they need to quit doing that, and they need to quit doing this. But we need to start with ourselves and look at our faults. While Sarah and Abram was in the wrong, Hagar was also in the wrong here. And, and God explicitly speaks to her here, and he tells her, you need to go back to your master where you started out at. You need to humble yourself. You need to ask for forgiveness and behave better, basically, is what he's saying, just to paraphrase. And he makes no question that when she gets there, she'll be welcome. Now, this takes a moment of faith for Hagar because Abram did not come looking for her. As any smart man in a quarrel between two women, he let her go. Um, he just... 
see, I'm just going to wipe myself clean of this situation. Uh, unfortunately, when the mistakes we make in life, they come back to haunt us, whether we want them to or not. Abram probably thought, well, I got rid of Hagar. Let's go back to the way things were with Sarah. Everything would be, would be hunky-dory. However, God's going to send Hagar back. Notice that those have gone away of their own from their own place and duty when they are convinced their heir must return, no matter how embarrassing it may be. Let me tell you something. There is no embarrassment in, in repentance. It's none. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where your position is with God. There is no embarrassment in repenting. If anyone speaks ill of you for admitting that you were wrong, then they need to find an altar somewhere um, because they're the ones in the wrong. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God that wants us to repent and make right. Oftentimes we hear sermons, read the word, and we get convicted and we just get angry. Well, I can't be wrong. How dare they tell me I'm wrong? That's not what to do. What to do is to make it right. Because we are all, your pastor included, convicted every single day. And every single day we have to repent and try to make it right with God. Number nine. Number nine asks, what promise accompanied the instructions? Now, Hagar wouldn't be real human if she immediately done what God said in Genesis 16:9. just as we don't always do immediately what God says when it's difficult. Um, returning to her mistress is not something easy for her to do, so God begins to speak to her through this angel of the Lord, and, and he tries to reassure her. And he tells her, says, I will confess and thou forgavest. Uh, we see this mentioned in Psalms 32:5 again. He predicts that um, concerning her position with Abram that there will be forgiveness. Um, of course, more trouble is going to come along the way, but we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Um, he tells her her condition, you're with child. I don't know, you know, I, I don't think any of you women want to have a child in the middle of the desert by yourself. Um, that is not the ideal situation for childbirth. Um, and he just basically tells her, listen, you, know, you need to do what's right for this baby. You need to get to a place where you can have this child in a safe environment. And with the scorpions and the snakes out in the desert is the, not the place to do that. And he, he tells her that she's going to bear a son. This is what Abram wanted, a son. And a son is going to come. Uh, he's going to give her this. And he tells her, he says, listen, you know, this was not done right, but I'm still going to multiply your seed. And he did. He promises. And it's not, when he says, it, he's not talking about just with Hagar. He's talking about continually. And we believe the descendants of this Ishmael are the Turks, which there are many of today. It's a great society. Um, but we see God's grace in this situation. Hagar was disobedient. Hagar didn't do what he, she was supposed to do. Neither did Abram or Sarah. But what's God going to do? He's still going to get glory out of it. He's going to use it to glorify himself. because He's going to say, you know what? You've done wrong, but I'm still going to hear your cries. I'm still going to multiply your seed. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to place you where you need to be. I'm going to take care of you and your offspring. God does the same thing for us. We're disobedient. We're unruly. We're not very good children. God shows us grace. He multiplies us. He adds into the church. He takes care of us. He blesses us. Not because we deserve it, because he is a good, good God. And because of his, he's patient and long-suffering towards us. Uh, number 10. 
Number 10 asks, what was the son's name and what was its significance? Come on, folks, this is the theme of the lesson. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder always to Hagar that she's Egyptian. She's Egyptian. She's not a Jew. And yet God has heard her cries, and this child is a reminder of that. We often think of our own experiences where we have had God's seasonable kindness to us when we were in times of distress. And this should encourage us to hope for similar help in situations in the future. Um, that when we get into situations of distress, that God has heard our afflictions. Um, even where there is little cry of devotion, God shows pity on us. Uh, there's times that we are so far away from God in times of distress that we don't think God even knows where we're at. Yet He blesses us anyways. He takes care of us anyways. Tears speak sometimes as well as prayers. This speaks for comfort to the afflicted that God not only sees what their afflictions are, but hears what they say. And this should, I hope this really makes you feel good. God knows what your affliction is before it happens. He knows it's coming. He may be preparing you for an affliction right now if you're going through things uh, that you may be able to tough it out later on. Um, but afflictions are, they're coming. There is no way to avoid them. They're a part of life. Living here on earth is afflictions. But God is God. He is there for us. Uh, he takes care of us. He loves us. And He sees us through. Just like He saw Hagar out of that desert, out of that wilderness. He sees us out of these situations as well. So we ought to thank God and praise Him um, that He does those things for us. Uh, I thank everyone for coming out and being with us this morning. I hope we, this lesson encouraged you a little bit that no matter what you're going through, and I would dare to say we're all going through something regardless uh, what where we are in life. Even the best, most rich in the world has got problems. But God is still God. He still loves you. He's still there for you. We just need to turn it over to Him and not work it out on our own. Thank you this morning.